John. 14. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 207 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Grant. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And I don't think it's fair that David Carradine can put on a full-body gimp suit and a German black uh, World War I helmet, and he's hailed a national hero. I do the same thing, and I'm told, Josh, you're not allowed into my child's birthday party. Well, you do bill yourself as a clown. I mean, I'm just saying. I don't see the problem here. <laughs> I got that. Yeah, I know. I know. Let's look. Nazism. The reason I wasn't able to watch this uh, uh, 2000, uh, Death Race 2000 on the train. <laughs> yeah. There's, was there's a different time. Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of lots of reasons not to watch this in movie in public, but that's okay. I felt dirty watching it in private, too. Um, hey, did you notice a new voice? I noticed a new voice. Who could that be? It's still not Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) And no, Patrick's not dead yet. No, he is not dead yet. He has gotten a new computer. He is currently in process of setting it up. But in the meantime, we have a one Grant. Grant, tell him who you are, man. Hey, yeah, I'm Grant. Um, I uh, I'm a big podcast fan and I got in touch with you guys a while ago for a show that I do uh, called podcast of the day. And you guys were the highlighted podcast and it was awesome. So thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. You actually do this on a format called anchor.fm, which is kind of cool. A little uh, podcasting uh, tool that you can podcast straight off your phone. It's like a micro podcasts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If you want to go check out more, it's just at anchor.fm, but in the simplest of terms, it's basically like it, it's a great way to make a podcast, make um, micro podcasting, social audio, whatever you want to call it, just right from your phone. It's really cool. And there's a lot of um, community members on there already. It's it's really cool to interact with. So it's it's awesome. Yeah. So it's like two brothers versus Coors Light. Yes. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't understand the reference, but uh, I'll just say, yeah. Yeah, Grant's not from Chicago, Joel. And oh. how do you know about two brothers? You just started drinking beer like two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, like I said, I haven't drank in a long time. But since I've started dating this girl, I've drank more in the past three months than I have in two years. But that's still not very much. That's like one beer every three weeks. So I'm not sure if that's positive or negative, dude. I don't know if you want to be saying that out loud, man. <laughs> I just did. Nice. Well, if you're drinking heavily... Um... <laughs> The thing you would like is probably to listen to the excellent podcasts on the Podcast Collective, including No Hope for Humanity, Dating Baggage, Mint Inbox Cast, the Portland Beer Club Podcast, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Yes. And if you're uh, listening to, looking for something to listen to on Saturdays at noon, you can find us on Geek Life Radio, 12 noon on Saturdays. Just head over to Geek Life Radio online, and we will be not live streaming, but streaming. If you're looking for our older stuff, we're on iTunes. <laughs> we will not be butt streaming either. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'd guarantee nothing. I'm butt streaming right now. It's true. I can see it on the webcam. I don't own a webcam. Then this is really weird. I like it when you watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our older stuff is on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, and a bunch of other podcast uh things out on that space called the internet and if you're looking to get in touch with us give us a call at 708 now wrap at 708-669-9727 we do have some listener feedback but uh, you're gonna have to tune in next week to hear it because i forgot to queue it up my apologies to brian the wine guy (gasps) oh was about wine 
No, it's not about wine. Oh. Remember Brian is the New York wine guy. That's his handle. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So, well, I guess it's about that time then, huh? It is totally about that time. Right on. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. Love Spielt Sports Lounge. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about him the other day. That's why I brought that up. The left field sports launch, man. Whatever happened uh, to those guys? I know. We were their biggest fans. <laughs> we still are. <laughs> they haven't done fans. a show in a year and a half, but we're your biggest fan. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So the theme for this year is April 27th, 1975. Uh, that is the release of the first Death Race 2000. And swastikas. All right. Music. The top songs in the land are He Don't Love You Like I Do by Tony Orlando and Don. Hey, Won't You Play Another Somebody Done Somebody's Wrong Song by BJ Bur- <laughs> God, I can't talk. By BJ Thomas. <sighs> and the acronym of the week, BTNTF. I think that's butts to not the front. I think we lost them. To be lose, Josh. I'm- Hello? Hello. Oh, that was a terrible time for my mic to crap out. <laughs> I need closure I on that ac- acronym. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's butts to not the front. Oh, They're putting the butts go. back where they belong. Ah, that makes sense. Knots to the front. <laughs> I thought you were just like pregnant pauses, like you were dramatic. You're like, uh, no, I, I didn't know what was going on until you said, uh, oh, we lost him. Because he's uh, like, butts to not. I thought like, I was shattering. Yeah, you went full Shatner on that one. You never go full Shatner. <laughs> uh, that's actually oh. Before the Next Teardrop Falls by Freddie Fender. Guilty Pleasure song, Hey Won't You Play, Another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song, I think is a lot of fun. Which Mike tried to sneak in as another acronym of the week, and since it's like 17 letters, I deleted <laughs> it before Joel could read it. <laughs> Incidentally, BJ Thomas is also the guy that performed the Growing Pains theme song. What? Yes. Huh. Well, Not written by him, but... Another somebody done somebody wrong. It's a good. It's a good driving and singing music. He says so, and nobody agrees with him. So he'll. I actually like that song. I was just li- leaving you hang. Nice, thanks, man. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. April twenty seventh, Tom Snyder of the Tomorrow Show interviews John Lennon. This will be le- John Lennon's last televised interview. Yes, and it wasn't like recent. It was like this, and then five years later, he was shot. So Yikes. He, oh, wow. stay, yeah, he stayed out of the uh, focus for a good long time. This was like his like his last big, you know, hey, this is what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to disappear for a little while. And he went back and um, uh, emotionally and physically abused his family for a few years and then got shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Growing Pains theme song by E.J. Thomas and Jennifer Warrens. <laughs> I just looked it up to make sure I was correct. So Tommy the Duck doesn't, you know, bring the hammer down. I like the God. duck hammer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and finally, thank you for whoever just shoved this giant thing in my face. That's what she said. <laughs> oh, boy. Pete Ham, musician and founder of the British rock band Badfinger, the first band signed to the Beatles' Apple Records in 1968, was born in Swansea, Wales in 1947. He formed a local rock group called the Panther Panthers. What are the Panthers? 
Thank you. The Panthers <laughs> in 1961, which would undergo several name and lineup changes before becoming Badfinger after the release of their first worldwide top 10 hit, Come and Get It. His biggest hit was Without You, a worldwide number one hit and later covered by Harry Nielsen in 1972. He went on to work with George Harrison, most notably on the guitar solo on Here Comes the Sun at the concert for Bangladesh. In 1972, Badfinger was picked up by Warner Brothers Records. Warner Brothers Records sued Badfinger's business manager, Stan Polly, after an advance vanished and after Polly disappeared, the band were left penniless. Believing his finances had been wiped out, Ham hanged himself in his garage three days before his 28th birthday. Absorbed. His note, uh, he left a note <laughs> telling his pregnant wife and her son that he loved them. It read, I will not be allowed to love and trust everybody. This is better. Pete. P.S. Stan Polly is a soulless bastard. I will take him with me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, he uh, he died. I forgot for the date. And he died on the uh, 26th, I believe so you can't miss that story though you can't not tell that story no yeah. i mean like what that is a hell of a suicide note to leave Mm-mm. i mean they and the guy i mean the panthers without you and all this and harry nelson I mean, the guy had a huge like career and then because this guy did this you know, ran off with their advance i mean three days before he was 28 so Man. crazy that is fucked up absorbed too soon yeah, yes. Stan Polly lived until 2009. So I guess the you don't threaten to kill someone in your suicide note if you want them to. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying. Stan was like, "Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna run. Woo! <laughs> Away with more money. I'm a ghost." <laughs> All right, moving on to movies. The top movie of the week is, believe it or not, Death Race 2000. This knocks Shampoo, the Warren Beatty nut rom-com about sexual mores in the 70s out of the number one spot, which was odd because it had been knocked out twice earlier by Tommy and Escape from Witch Mountain. Death Race 2000 would go on to make $4.9 million in this one weekend, eventually grossing $8 million in the U.S. of a $300,000 budget. It would also go on to make $270,000 in Sweden. So, I credit the gimp suit. I'm totally going with the gimp suit on that one. Here's the thing. I look. I was looking up the box office on this thing, and it was like th- the eight million in the U.S. worldwide two points two hundred seventy thousand dollars, and then I went at the bottom. It was like Sweden two hundred seventy thousand dollars. So I'm guessing it only played in the U.S. and Sweden, and did great in Sweden. Huh. So that's weird. It is. It really is. Uh, it makes me question Sweden. Ben, I, know right. I know we were all thinking it as we were watching. <laughs> all right. On June 25th, the movie Cooley High is released, a movie that would eventually go on to influence such other media as Boys to Men in the Cooley High Harmony album, while they cover the song It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, and the movie Boys in the Hood. Uh, it was shot in Chicago, chronicling the final days of the two senior classmen, Leroy Preach Jackson, played by Glenn Turman, and Richard Cochise Morris, played by Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, in their last days of high school at Edwin G. Cooley Vocational High School. It did well at the box office, ranking in the top 30 highest grossing films of 1975. Yep, and uh, from what I hear, it also had a fantastic uh, soundtrack, too. So, and Yeah, I've never seen it, but it's on the list. You can't go wrong with Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. Come on. Well, here we go. Cooley High, Baby Love by the Supremes, which is actually the big, uh, huge one from it. Uh, My Girl from The Temptations, Fingertips from Stevie Wonder. Uh, I Can't Help Myself by the Four Tops, uh, otherwise known as Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. 
um just you the best of best of motown is in this is in this one so including two pigs and a hog by freddie perrin i don't know that one i didn't know who lawrence <laughs> that's what <laughs> i didn't know who lawrence elton jacobs was uh and then i realized oh uh from welcome back cotter <laughs> yeah yeah he was washington j washington yeah and most recently he was featured in rob zombies 31 really yeah okay yep cool now I'm just gonna wait because there is uh, there is an age gap. Believe it or not, there's an age gap between us and <gasps> Grant. Yeah, one that's so big you could put another lifetime into it. <laughs> we could yeah. be his father. Oh Jesus! Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's actually a possibility. So yeah, that's 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 why I'm not saying a ton because I don't really know a ton. <laughs> don't don't hesitate. If you jump in, whatever. If you don't know, I mean, feel free to clarify. I mean. My question to you is, have you ever seen an episode of Welcome Back, Cotter? No, I have not. Uh, can I have a show of hands from the three of us who thinks he's completely missing out? This doesn't work so well on a podcast, but okay. All right, cool. <laughs> um, John, well, yeah, if it makes you feel any better, uh, the original Death Race 2000 was before I was born, too. Just only one year rather than many don't, years. Yeah, okay. don't, don't make him say that number out loud. Well. <laughs> I was going to ask if he knows what Welcome Back Cutter is. Maybe that's a better question. I uh, also know. Oh, my God. That's what I was afraid of. You were saying, Mike, though, John Travolta. Uh, John Travolta in his early years. It was his first. Uh, he was actually on this bef- way before everything else. He was a, it was a sitcom uh, where he played a high school, uh, just a kid in high school. Uh, what was the, Vinny Barbarino? Yeah, it was basically uh, about a, a high school with like troubled low income kids in New York. If I rem- okay. Was it New York? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Gabe yeah. Kaplan was the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Gabe That's Kaplan. Where, you get the horse shack laugh. Uh, uh, you've got the, hey, get over here. You know, the John Triple thing at the time. No. <laughs> That's. Yeah. That's you, I'm saying, look it up. It's 70s humor, but it's like in influential to a lot of comedians from this point on. And Gabe Kaplan was actually hilarious. Gotcha. So I added to the list. All right. So April 21st in TV sees the release of the blankety blanks on ABC's daytime lineup, a game show that uses the celebrity contestant style of play where a team is tasked with answering questions in the form of puns. And the example, one of the questions would be when Richard Nixon spilled coffee on Gerald Ford's lap, he said blank blank. Joel, you uh, let's see. He said you're impeached. No, he 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 would say pardon me. See, you get that because Richard Nixon would want to be pardoned. Oh, pardon. So so yeah. Um, so this laugh a minute show replaced <laughs> reruns of the Brady Bunch. It then lasted fifty episodes, being shown every day, not really that long, and then was replaced with reruns of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> So that was like the the programmers like yeah that didn't work let's just go back to what we know and then it was a story <laughs> and I've never heard of that show so apparently it's it's been burned at some point never to oh, be seen again I I looked up some <laughs> videos of it and it is it is terrible it really is I mean Joel it's it's like puns that are even below you whoa yeah I know right that's bad. I know. So a one Johnny Galecki is born on April 30th, starting his career as David Healy on Roseanne. He went on to appear in many feature films such as National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Prancer and Suicide Kings. He is now known as Dr. Leonard Hofstadter in the CBS sitcom The Bing Bang Theory since 2007. 
And can we just say that Suicide Kings is a very underrated film? I have not seen it. Josh? Um, the Big Bang Theory is a very overrated show. <laughs> I can say that because Pat's not on to argue with me about it. I, <laughs> I, am, I am with Josh on this one because it's like, let's, well, I think you said it before. Let's take everything that's wrong with the geek community and make a, make a sitcom about it. <laughs> well, it's sitcoms have punchlines. The only punchline in the Big Bang Theory is, look, nerds think they're people. <laughs> and do you get, do you get the, uh, hey, you're into gaming? You must like Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. All the time. And my response is usually, fuck you. Um, no. <laughs> All right, Grant, this is your big time. Sports. Awesome. Yes, uh, the golf legend Jack Nicklaus wins his fifth Golf Masters in April of 1975. He would later break his own record 11 years later. His stroke of victory would be a 40-foot putt to put him over challengers Tom Weisskopf and Johnny Miller. In 75, Nicklaus had six wins, 12 top five finishes, and 16 top 10 finishes in 18 official worldwide events. So uh, he's, he's pretty good. Oh, yeah, Nicklaus... I- I, I was trying to figure out like well, how long a forty foot putt would be, and it's insane. Uh, yeah, two of you guys have been in my living room. That's twice the height of my living room. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's a distance I can understand because you've got a pretty tall living room. Yeah, yeah. It's and I mean the forty feet and he a forty foot putt. I mean I can't I can't start walking forty feet and be <laughs> in the right the, the spot I expected to be in when I started walking forty feet ago. That may be because you were drunk. I. Oh, I just said oh, maybe. <laughs> that was implied. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, thank you for the uh, cricket that you're throwing at Grant. Nice. He's got. To, everyone's got to have some cricket. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anybody with a really convoluted name. Damn. But, <laughs> but he does have to explain at least one cricket term before we're done. Ah, no, that's right. No one's that's ever right. done that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jason Neil Gillespie, born on April 19th, 1975. He was a former Australian cricketer who played all three formats of the game, primarily a right-arm fast bowler, but he was also a competent lower-order batsman with a test double century and unbeaten 201. Gillespie made his test debut against the West Indies at Sydney in 1996 and his one-day international debut against Sri Lanka at Colombo in the Singer World Series in 1996. Now, I don't know what any of that means, but it does sound really good. At least with the Nicklaus, I, I, I knew, I know golf, I played golf, but yeah, I don't know a thing about cricket. But it What's sounds interesting good. is we've, we still don't really understand cricket, nope. but there is a brand new cricket fact in here because I thought there were only two formats of the game. I knew about Test and I knew about One Day International. I don't know what the third format is. So hopefully oh, we will get uh, one of our either we'll get Kilowilba or Nikki from New Zealand to uh, call in and tell us what the third format is because I've been sort of paying attention and trying to puzzle this stuff out for two and a half three years now ever since we started adding cricket facts and I knew about two of the three formats what's the third I have no idea I will say that I have started just to see what what happens during the games I've actually started watching streaming cricket on YouTube and it's it's weird because it's like they instead of a bat, they've got that paddle, the, mm-hmm. the cricket bat, so they can like direct their hits. So I watched one, um, I watched one thing on there about cricket where a guy, the best I can figure is he ca- he catches this the batter out. Now here's here's the thing about cricket, Grant, is that we also discovered is that you can aim at the batter and it's completely legal. What? <laughs> 
Yeah, and the ba- and the ball that they use is not like a, a baseball where it's all sort of wound string. It's almost made out of rock. It's like okay, really- that, that's different. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. yeah, super hard rubber. Yeah. So this one guy, he bats it off and he gets caught out, and that's about as much as I can uh, draw parallels to it. But the guy who caught him out then comes up and pretends to write a check in his face and tears the check off. And, um, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I recognize it as soon as I said it. Nuclear vessels. <laughs> Thank you. He, he then, the batter, the next 11 times up, directly aims the ball at this fielder and completely blows him out every time. Nice. So there's all these it's little <laughs> isn't isn't I mean it's awful and it's great at the same time. It's like all right, hey, you showed me up in this. I am going to deliberately hit the ball at you for the next eleven times and just show people that I'm better than you. I must and, break you. Yeah, it's and there's <laughs> petty, a lot. Of, it's petty and it's violent, which is exactly my approach to sports. Exactly. And dating was at one point. Well, yes. <laughs> I don't know where that was coming from. All right, so. Uh, keyboard Joel on that <laughs> domestic abuse. Let's take us out. <laughs> All right. So on to the main show. Uh, so here's, here's the deal is that we were in September. The actual idea was that everybody was going to get a week off. I would get a week off and have a substitute. Josh would get a week off and have a substitute. Uh, and then Patrick kind of screwed the whole thing over by living in the middle of a hurricane and having his computer explode. Um, not related. Not related, no. So here's the thing. Josh thought he was playing one over on us and was like, hey, you guys got to watch Death Race 2000 in 2050. Yeah, we've been kicking this movie around for a show topic for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that blew up in my face. Yeah, so he was all ready to take his week off. and so, Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> So here we go. In a dystopian future, a cross-country automobile race requires contestants to run down innocent pedestrians to gain points that are tallied based on each kill's brutality. Now, quick note to uh, each of you on the show and then those listening. How many of you realize that that came from this film? Because didn't you, when you were first driving or when we were in college or even if you were in high school and driving with your friends, you're like, oh, it's an old person, 10 points or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I completely knew that. Yeah, and I was familiar with it because while I'd never seen the film before today, actually, um, the uh, video game in the arcade is something I'd played. There was a video game? Oh, yeah. Death Race 2000 was an early arcade game. Yep. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of, like, cultural... Fantastic. A lot of cultural type stuff that uh, came from this one. So this was actually directed by a one Paul Bartel, who is known for his acting career, but has also directed such classics as Eating Raul, where uh, a couple of people who live in an apartment decide that eating their uh, landlord is the right way to go about things. Uh, Lust in the Dust, which I don't know. <laughs> If anybody, either of you have seen this, but this starred Divine, uh, who if you're not sure, if you don't know who Divine is, that's a uh, obese crossdresser. Yeah, yeah, one of the world's first great drag queen performers. Yeah. So playing Rosie Velez in that one. Um, and that one actually had Cesar Romero in it, too. So that was kind of crazy. Um, but Paul Bartel, for his acting, he is a huge 
character actor. Um, he was a smuggler in The Usual Suspects. He was a congressman in Escape from L.A., which he also had something to do with. I'm trying to think some other stuff that you would really recognize him in. Um, God, what is there was I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking. Oh, he was in Clueless, the TV series as Principal Layman. But he was very much the uh, pretentious character actor. You know, almost like almost like the uh, the way the um, Mater D from The Simpsons. Hello, oh, the bald guy with the beard. Okay, yes, bald guy. Yeah, bald guy with the beard is the best way to describe him. He was a theater manager in Gremlins too. Yeah, if you look him up, you'll go, oh, that guy. Yeah, and he was also, as I hate to say, this is a movie that I've seen, but he was also played the director in a movie called Pucker Up and Bark Like a Dog. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but he, you know, a uh, great character actor, directed some great movies, in quotes, great movies. Uh, writing credits, Robert Tom uh, did the screenplay for this one. Uh, he was also credited with such other movies as Bloody Mama. <laughs> and I love saying this stuff. <laughs> Bloody Mama, he, he did a bunch of TV series episodes of The Defenders, which we need to do a show on that for some reason or another. And then something called The Rise and Fall of Eddie Carew uh, and one episode of Craft Suspense Theater. <laughs> that is I'm craft, not familiar with any of that. Craft Suspense Theater, it's which is, it is like the cheese. Will it melt? Will it not melt? <laughs> Uh, Charles B. Griffith was also the one of the writers in this one. Notably, wrote Little Shop of Horrors, the 1960s version. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, Grant, have you seen Little Shop of Horrors, the one with Harold Ramis? I, no. No, I haven't. No. Okay. <laughs> the original one had Jack Nicholson in it. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's about a giant plant that eats people. And yeah, and the uh, remake I mean, was a musical. Great. Oh, it, it is. It's fantastic. Uh, the, the story itself was written by Ib Melkor. Uh, he was a short story science fiction writer of the time. Unfortunately, this one in the book itself, there were not a lot of parallels. It just kind of took the theme of the death race. There was no, in the original story, there was no Frankenstein. There were no other racers. It was all based off of one racer and one mechanic uh, in this race. So it's kind of like um, uh, the Schwarzenegger movie with the game show. You know, I was going to get into that once we started talking about, because there's clear influences on everything from The Running Man to Hunger Games. Oh, Uh, yeah. They they owe quite a bit to Death Race. They really do. Uh, This guy also was a writer on such classics as Planet of the Vampires from 1965 and The Time Travelers from 1964. So, I mean, we're talking a lot of, oh, and the original story of Godzilla Raids Again in 1955. So... I mean, this is a lot of old school writers, old school directors, and that sort of thing jumping in on this. So it's it's got its charm. Yeah, let's jump into the cast. So we have a one David Carradine playing the driver Frankenstein, Simone Griffith as Annie Smith, Sylvester Stallone. Well, let, let's not just run past them, though. <laughs> OK, all right. Of course, David Carradine is probably best known for Kung Fu. Correct. But, uh, more recently, of course, he's in Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. Mm hmm. Uh, and I was surprised to find that Simone Griffith uh, is still working. Like, she's still putting out uh, stuff today. Yeah, so is Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is David. Oh, never mind. Aw. Aw. Now you made it bad. Aw. 
So yeah, so um, yeah, Simone Griffith is still uh, putting things out. Most recently, she has a 2017 movie short called Catch and Kill. Um, there's still, I mean, she's still working, and that's fantastic, man. I mean, she's had about a movie a year, two or three a year since then. So good on her, I guess. Yeah, wait till, wait till we get all the way down to Martin Cove. I, I yeah. was surprised. <laughs> now, Sylvester Stallone played Machine Gun Joe Viterbo in this one. And uh, after we did the Rocky show, I can't understand how he went broke between this and Rocky because I, you know, I, I can't see why he wasn't a star after this. Yeah, I, honestly, th- we are, have already done a Stallone show. And somehow when prepping for that show, I missed this. Like I missed that it was even on his catalog. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, and it's and he he wasn't bad in it. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, so Mary, all right, everyone, get your icons off that name. Warnoff. Warnoff. Yeah. Uh, plays Calamity Jane. Uh, she is actually is in a uh movie in two th- set for two thousand eighteen called Citizens and came out in short in two thousand sixteen called A Flock of Birds. So she's still working. So good on yeah. her. She was one of the leads in Eating Raul. Yeah, yeah. She followed them along. And uh, she's had a huge career. I mean, just she's been consistently working since she started acting. So, correct. Yeah. Uh, Roberta Collins. Um, I'm I'm not sure what's going on with the photo in her IMDb profile because uh, <laughs> it's, it's not her. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely not her. her. The description of her as brassy and beautiful blonde Roberta Collins was a terrific dynamic scene-stealing delight who greatly enlivened a bunch of choice down-and-dirty 70s drive and exploitation picks her with her earthy good humor, balanced vitality, acting, da-da-da-da-da, and sex appeal. And then apparently somebody put a picture of my father in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was like the exploitation. I love the phrase drive-through exploitation film because that was her wheelhouse. Oh yeah, I mean she she was in such I mean the big dollhouse caged uh, heat like one of the big big scream queen exploitation flicks. Mhm. And to follow up with women in cages in the whole cage genre. And she's really cute too. Yeah. She made me wonder if, you know, Nazism wasn't that bad. <laughs> That's all text, Angel. No, no, actually it doesn't. But... <laughs> oh, dude, she was in Hard Bodies and Hard Bodies 2. Electric Boogaloo? Yes. Where they have to get their bodies hard to save the community center? <laughs> I'll give that a laugh. <laughs> I've got the weirdest boner right now. Um, I can see it. We need, a, we need to do a teen sex comedy show. Do we? Do we really? <laughs> <laughs> that used to, okay, Grant, that used to be a thing. Like every summer, there'd be like Hard Bodies, Porkies, Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, Hot Dog the Movie, Hamburger the Movie. Oh my God! Yeah, cool. I'm waiting for the teen sex tragedy to start up. <laughs> they called that Twilight. Yeah, uh, Martin Cove is Nero the hero. Oh my goodness, Martin Cove! I mean, sweep the leg, Johnny. Between playing Crease and then playing uh, Erickson in Rambo: First Blood Part Two, like th- this is where I remember this guy from. And then I opened up his IMDb, and he's got 214 credits, including like 16 from this year. Oh my god, Jeez. that's crazy! Yeah, yeah. I, I assume this guy stopped working in like 1986. Nope, and I was so wrong. He's never stopped working, just like Mary Warnoff. 
I don't know what two lava tulantula is, but I need to see that. <laughs> you need to see you need to see lava lantula first, though, because that otherwise you won't understand. The, the whole context will be ruined. Seriously, what though, it, it, it's it's Sharknado. It's another it's another in the asylums category. Uh, it's a it's basically it's a sister movie to Sharknado. Actually, Finn Shepard, um, Ian Ziering's character, makes an appearance in uh, Lava Lantula, and vice versa. And if you ever want to see a police Academy reunion film, this is probably your best shot because half of the police Academy film is in lava Lanchula. No joke. Joel never change. <laughs> it's a yeah, great, you're the only too. person I know who could maintain <laughs> that many sentences completely seriously about lava Lanchula. It, it was a lot of fun and I haven't seen the sequel yet, but I have it on my hard drive to watch at some point. Now it, please tell me this movie is about a giant tarantula made of lava. Uh, it's actually a bunch, it's about a bunch of tarantulas that come out of lava, but they, but they are infused with like the heat and the lava so that they can't be killed very easily. So like they can burn holes and things and they're like super hot. And so they're kind of like lava spiders. Well, we can only hope that Martin Cove is there to tell Johnny to sweep the leg. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be in there somewhere. You know what I've started doing? My, my, you guys know Sophie has started playing volleyball and I've started shouting out random movie quotes to her for instead of cheering because I'm not really big into the whole yay just yelling like one sound. So I've started doing that like like screaming the may the force be with you in the last game that I was at with her I screamed sweep the leg Johnny and completely disrupted everybody in the stands. That's funny. What it happened? Was, I mean, it was like it was like the coach who, like the line coach who was out there. She stopped and like completely turned and looked at me and missed a call because she was like, "What the hell? Really? You're calling out Karate Kid quotes to your kid on you know playing volleyball?" I'm like, "Yeah, cool. You you missed the ball landing. You should probably do your job." <laughs> All right. So moving on, we have a Louisa Mortz as Myra. And I recognized her. If I recall, she was the prostitute in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, she was. She was Rose. Um, she has 44 credits to her name and uh, has been. the last movie was in 2000. So still kicking it. Uh, still. Well, you know, looking at her credits, I think she was kind of typecast because she played a character called Chi-Chi, Bubbles, Whore, Sunshine, I mean, I think she was a little bit typecast. I don't think whore was the name. That's what it says. <laughs> All right, we'll just we'll just run with that. <laughs> uh, also, we have Don Steele as Junior Bruce, and in the credits as the real Don Steele. Well, yeah, I mean this this guy is the voice of radio in '80s movies for a long time. He was rocking Ricky Rialto in Gremlins. Yes. It took me a while to recognize his recognize his voice, but uh, when I uh, did see it, it was I did notice he was also played Curly Q Brown. Okay, ready for this, Grant? He played Curly Q Brown in Grand Theft Auto: The Movie. That oh man, okay, all right. So that was written, directed, and starring Ron Howard. I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking. about. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> I know. As do I. <laughs> Ron Howard, um, are you familiar? I, ha- I hate keep, keeping doing this to you, man. <laughs> it's a very old film. I mean, yeah. like, it's 70s, yeah. 
Uh, oh, he, I took a look at it. I was afraid it was an adaptation of the video game. No, it's yeah, no. That's, what that's what I thought. Yeah, no, no, no. He was he he he's known for playing uh, Tom Kalanick in Osmosis Jones. Nineteen seventy-seven. No, he's not. He's known for playing Rich, Rich Cunningham on uh, Happy Days, but uh, uh, and right now he's better known as an award-winning director. Oh yeah, uh, Saving Private Ryan. That's one of the movies you may have known him to do. Hey, I've, that's a movie I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> A Beautiful Mind, Parenthood. Okay. Yeah. Big, big director. And I think he took over the new uh, standalone uh, the Star Wars. Yes. He's currently filming the, the Han Solo film. Oh, yes. which, which I am really excited for. Grant, you were saying? Or not? Grant. I don't think we lost him. I don't know. Uh, this also starred Joyce Jameson as Grace Pander, who was the. Um, the news, the news girl in this one. Oh, that's who that was. Yeah, she was one uh, Grace Pander, who was a dear friend of mine. Oh, yep, she was in the movie The Apartment, starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine and Fred McMurray, and also uh, in Outlaw Josie Wales. She played Rose. Oh, okay, yeah, so good stuff. Uh, uh, Carly Benson and Sandy McCollum as Harold and Mister President. Uh, Sandy McCollum is known for this is this is what i love about this one he's known for mr president in death race 2000 and is also known as playing king david and samuel in animated animated stories of the bible oh yeah the rest of his catalog is voice acting for bible cartoons that's fantastic (laughs) what a great roster well, I think it's like he did this, and he's like, "Shit, I gotta reevaluate." <laughs> this motherfucker needs Jesus. <laughs> totally pivoted to just animated Bible. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but he never played whore. You were doing so well. He should have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so trivia: both Sylvester Stallone and David Carradine did much of their own driving. In addition, producer Roger Corman drove in scenes that were shot in public streets, since the custom-built cars used in the movie, believe it or not were not street legal. And the stunt drivers were like, I'm not driving that thing around because I don't want to get caught by the police because they didn't apparently know about getting like permits and permission. I don't which, think they cared. Yeah, I would, they probably didn't have the budget for that. Yeah. Oh, and which, which is completely Roger Corman to me. Yes. I mean, that is like, hey, we're going to film it right here. <laughs> <laughs> right now, get in the car. Um, the role of Frankenstein was originally offered to Peter Fonda. I could see that. Yeah, yeah I can, can actually see that. Yeah, who considered the movie too ridiculous for words. But then later on, he was in Escape from L.A. <laughs> He's not wrong. He is not wrong, but then how do you go from that to all the other things? I mean, he's not exactly known as a shining light in the Fonda family. True. I mean, in Escape from L.A., he literally surfs down a lava flow. Yeah, it's it's not a shining moment. Yeah, in the in the middle of uh, Los Angeles, with a uh, very um, that also features a very heavily makeup Bruce Campbell. True. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, moment for our Saint surgeon. Yeah. yeah, for our Saint Bruce Campbell. Mm. Yes. Did we do Bruce Campbell show? Yes. Mm-hmm. We should do another. We should do another one. <laughs> Bruce Campbell too. Yes. Um, Mary Warner, <laughs> who plays Calamity Jane was cast so well that they didn't realize that she didn't know how to drive a car. 
So a stunt driver did the actual driving for her in the movie. And for close-ups, Warren Aronoff sat in a car towed behind a truck with a camera crew riding in it. Was, was that a spend- common thing to not know how to drive back oh, then? Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. if you spend all your time in cages. <laughs> <laughs> or you're famous. Okay. Mm. Yeah, believe it or not, my, well, I mean, this this is like the last of a generation, but my grandmother uh, passed away. She had never driven. That's unfortunate. I find that so interesting. I, I thought it was like a, a common thing, even in back then, to just, yeah, know how to drive. You know, and that's it's the so thing. commonplace like, today. Yeah, oh, I know. I mean, it's everybody has a driver's license. I mean, she just never, you know, she wanted to go somewhere. She would get my grandfather and be like, hey, I got to go somewhere. And he, they get in the car and drive off. So... Yeah, my mom didn't learn until I was old enough to remember her taking driving lessons. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Uh, so the, most of the time, the cars did not run. So they had to be pushed down hills in order to get them to move. That's uh, more, funny. <laughs> isn't that awesome? Moreover, the camera used to film the cars were undercranked in order to perpetuate the illusion that they were moving faster than they actually were. <laughs> that I'm not surprised. You could tell. You could definitely tell. Yeah. And that was actually a thing. I mean, it was instead of risking the lives of people driving and that sort of thing. And they actually would do this a lot for uh, slapstick movies. In fact, I I remember um, Arsenic and Old Lace. They would do it underclock the the cameras for like when Cary Grant was doing his slapstick and like a fall over a couch and that sort of thing. So he can fall slowly and not hurt himself, but then would speed up on the film. And so it looked like it was funny. It's one of the reasons why the late 60s uh, action movies with Steve McQueen look so great even today is because there is no undercranking. Dude was just insane <laughs> and just uh, drove the cars at full speed. I, I think you mean completely fucking badass is what. Thank you, mean. Mike. Thank is you. Is there a difference? Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Potato, potato. Badass, completely <laughs> insane. Um, oh, God. Mm. I wish we could do a Steve McQueen show, but we don't have anything for the now. No kidding. I know, right? Screw that. We'll just do it all then. All Steve McQueen. (laughs) All right. So here's a question. How many of this, how many of us had, was this the first watching of the movie? Definitely the first for me. I'm going to say all of us because it's the first time I've seen it. Really? I was dragging my feet on this until a few hours ago. You said dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Um... This is not the first time I've seen this. What? Yeah. I used to work at a video store. I picked this up a while ago. I mean, this is Death Race 2000. It was completely up my alley on this one. I've seen this one before. Um, but uh, wow. I'm, I'm really curious for the, uh, the youngin in our group for today. <laughs> so, Grant, what did you think of this 1975 classic? So, I mean, we were, we were talking about this a little bit. Um, I didn't know what to expect going into it. I definitely looked it up and saw that it was like a cult classic. So I, I was kind of curious as to what it was about. Um, so I started it up and I was sort of half watching it because I was doing something else. Um, but towards the towards like the, the beginning, middle, I mean, once I got going and I, I paid more attention than I was supposed to be doing, but it was... Uh, I liked it a lot. I'm, I'm surprised at how much I liked it. It's so like, I, I this is, I think it's my first time watching one of those. I, what were you calling them? The drive-through uh, exploitation films or whatever. Yeah. 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 This is like my first viewing of any of that. And uh, I think I just found like my new addiction or something. Cause this is, yeah, I loved it. I legitimately was not expecting him to say that. 
I it just was like the, the, beyond anything I thought I would have watched. <laughs> See, and this is one of those things. Like, if you were, well, God, I can't believe I almost said this. <laughs> if you were walking, around, if you were walking around a video store and you saw this pop up. <laughs> Hey, to be fair, I, w- I went to Blockbuster back in the day. Okay, you know? yeah, hey, no, 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 I know, and it wasn't that long ago. It really was not that long ago. But, <laughs> um, I mean, I would have put this on if I would have put this on back then, and the second the hand-drawn titles would have popped up, <laughs> I would have been like, "What the hell?" Um, that I think honestly was part of the charm of this movie. Yeah. I mean, they made it for sixty thousand, six hundred thousand dollars. That's like that's less than an actor is paid to be in a movie nowadays by a huge margin. I think what most surprised me was to see. Oh, that's Sylvester Stallone. I, I think that was probably the the thing that caught me most off guard. <laughs> and he was I didn't pretty realize that he he was, and that that surprised me too. It was like he he actually had a good performance in it, or at least I thought. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, I I was not looking forward to seeing this, but I was, I had my eyes glued to the screen pretty much for the entire thing. And uh, I I was shocked at how much of an influence it had on the post-apocalyptic game show, which is almost its own genre. If you take it all the way up to the Hunger Games, you can see clear influence from this straight to the Hunger Games. Definitely. And uh, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this. It's campy. Uh, some of the acting's a little uneven. Some of the fight choreography is questionable, but it somehow works despite the, these broad stereotypes coming together for a pretty ham-fisted political satire meets a racing film. Uh, when I was texting my wife when I was watching it, I, I was like, this is crazy. This is like the late 70s, early 80s cartoon Wacky Racers meets Hunger Games. Well, give credit where credit is due. Roger Corman is the master of taking a small budget and turning into something that makes a profit. And that's why he's the has the lifestyle he has today is because he's got a knack for doing just that. And whether the movie's garbage or not doesn't matter. As long as it's entertaining and it moves forward, it makes money. And that's that's his niche. That's what he does. That's what made him famous. Right. And and here's part of the thing is that like when David Carradine agreed to do this it he had just finished up kung fu and everybody was saying to him you've just gotten out of tv if you don't do a movie now everyone's going to forget you and he he jumped into this one because in his i think his quote was this is going to make everybody forget about the little chinese guy that i was playing in kung fu (laughs) and then they wrapped him in leather and i have to give respect to the I, the effect of him wearing the mask and when he pulled it off and had the David Carradine face. Yeah. That's the thing is he's not an, uh, traditionally what you'd call an attractive dude, but he looked so disfigured with the mask on that they actually, by comparison, almost turned him into a sex symbol. Almost. And David Carradine and bl- I wasn't going to say tidy whities, but it's like <laughs> blacky. Well, I, okay. I'm done with that. I don't, I don't know where to take this. Yeah, Good call. Good call stopping right there. <laughs> well, I, oh, oh, I was going to say, and it really did carry him out because after, let's say, Kung Fu, um, the, uh, the TV show, was that his first? God, I think it was. I think that was his first thing was 
Kung Fu. Oh no, he was in Shane, the TV series. He was he had a lot of like young stuff, but he finished. Come back, Shane. But he was in Kung Fu. He finished it up in seventy five. Did Death Race two thousand has done things at, ranging from uh, Death Race two thousand to this movie Circle of Orange. He's done voices for Danny Phantom now. Uh, he was in North and the South. Uh, he was like I said. He was in um, uh, the ah, Kill Bill. And he has a movie, The American Connection, which is just completed for 2017. So, I mean, he, he has not slowed down at all. Even dying in 2009 has not slowed him down. <laughs> Funny how that works, but you're right. Yeah, he's, um, he's had more movies since he died than a lot of other actors have had across uh, a whole career. Uh, seriously, six, okay, dies in 2009. 2010, Six Days in Paradise. Then Money to Burn, Detention, where he plays Principal Hoskins. What the hell? True Legend, Anthony. Then he was in he, Dino Croc versus Super Gator. <laughs> Something called Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair in 2011. Highway to Hell, he played the spirit guide. It was music of video. And then 2000, he, this year, he's in a movie and he's been dead. Yeah, coming up on a decade now. So good on him. <laughs> I'm honestly, my introduction to David Carradine was Kung Fu: The Legend Continues. Oh yeah, yeah. So like those 87 episodes, I think I watched probably 80 of them. A uh, couple of quick, fun Roger Corman facts. Number one, he has produced 411 films. 411. That's a lot. <laughs> There's a great documentary I saw on him a few years back called Corman's World: Exploits of a Hollywood Rebel. That's almost um, as many podcasts as you have. <laughs> uh, maybe, um, which I highly recommend. And I just checked his net worth because I was curious since we were talking about him. He's currently estimated at $40 million, which is not as much as I was expecting, but it's still a lot. I think I got 40 bucks in my wallet right now. I got a dollar and change in my car. I don't want to talk about my net worth. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Corman, an inspiration to us all. Is something that I never expected <laughs> to say today. <laughs> At least we're getting his name right this time. Roger? No, remember last week on the show, I was like, I, I had no. the wrong Harvey Yeah, Corman. you called him Harvey oh, Corman. Harvey Corman, that's right. <laughs> Which would have made more sense with the... Anyway. Except Harvey Corman was never on Benny Hill. No, but he... Never mind. But I do have to say that a lot of the action sequences in this would have been made better if the Benny Hill music had been played. Yep, I stole that from you because you messaged that while you're watching it, and I was watching it, and I agreed with you. I totally yeah. agree with you. Now, here's the thing: you know, 1970s mu- movies didn't, as we've said it before in in the show, is the 70s pacing, and where yeah. it's introduce the characters, long shots of them driving around the city or whatever. This one completely did not have 70s pacing. I don't think. I mean, it was action and then go. I would say I agree with that. Yeah, very kinetic filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, I would say from like an outsider's standpoint, it didn't really seem too outdated except for everything else. <laughs> Besides <laughs> the pacing, at least. Well, oh. and that's, we live in the era of quick cuts. So right. when you see something from the 70s, you're, it's a shock because the they have all these long long shots and seeing this this is closer 
filmmaking wise to what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try watching like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and Armageddon. And um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't understand how you picked those two movies. Well, Armageddon is notorious for having uh, they, I think there's a, I don't know if it's a hundred percent true, but it's in the gra- film, graham cracker animals. No, there's never a scene that's longer than two seconds before there's a cut. So every huh. two seconds, there's a cut in the film. Um, that sounds like a drinking game to me. And I just picked one for those cuckoo's nest because we were talking about it earlier because of okay. the uh, actress. But anyway, you know, I for not having ever seen this, I didn't know what to expect, honestly. I was expecting more of a straight-up exploitation, like blood and guts action kind of thing. I was not expecting it to be a political satire or anything comedic. And I got to say, um, it was a little bit of a shock at first because I was like, what the hell is this? What's going on? <laughs> I was very confused. Um, and also another parallel that I noticed was um, it reminded me of Starship Troopers in terms of the, the satire. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, I get that. Very much so. And that I can't say that I loved it, but I enjoyed it. And like you guys had all said, I couldn't stop watching it. Like, as soon as I started, I was glued. Yeah, I mean, this story has been told multiple times, this sort of in-your-face satire using the violent game show as a metaphor. We've seen it, and it's been done over, and it's done better. But here, I think, is where it was done first. So i got to give major props for that. And And he did it first, and he did it well. Because so many times we'll watch a theme or we'll watch a concept of a movie and it'll be like, yeah, this was great, but it finally got refined in, you know, 10 years later or 20 years later when so-and-so mm-hmm. redid the theme. This one, while it is kind of ham-handed in some of it, is really kind of straightened to the point. I mean, if despite the Roger Corman-ness of it, the entire thing, it's it's got the story. You have Frankenstein. You've got the driver. You've got the rebellion. I mean, it's it's a great little story. Unfortunately, wrapped around the effects and abilities of two thousand. I mean, nineteen seventy five. Well, but even though it's it may be a little ham fisted, you're never bludgeoned with the message. It's it's hidden underneath. It's like you know they talk about a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, or you're covering broccoli and cheese so your kids will eat it. They, he basically took something that was kind of an important message and, and sugarcoated it so everybody could watch it. No, I yeah. want broccoli and cheese. I was actually just looking to, to back up my claim, and I'm pretty sure this was first because the only thing that's even remotely similar to this is sort of the uh, great the man is the greatest game trope, and that's not really a game show. But after that, like in 1970... There was a TV film. We already talked about The Running Man. Forgot to mention Battle Royale, the Japanese classic. Very much like this. Uh, 13 Game of Death, also pretty similar. 2009 movie called The Tournament. And, of course, the the episode of Black Mirror called White Bear. I think it was the uh, series one finale. And a Yancey Butler film called Hard Target. Um, If if you've never seen uh, The Tournament... I highly recommend it. Very I have good. not, but I, I think I'm going to add it just so I'll have seen all of these on the list. It's very good. And it's, it's, so what up. do you think? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Grant, what do you think about this whole like 
anti, I mean, the best way to describe it is like anti-establishment, anti-government type theme that they've got on this sort of, on this movie. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can say it's different from, cause a lot of the movies that I've seen nowadays are really, they, they follow the same tropes. It seems like, um, and to see it done subtly like this was cool. I really thought the, uh, the ending or the resolution or whatever you want to call it was not very satisfying. I, I was like, really, that's, that's how this ends. Um, I don't know. Did you, did you feel the same way or was, was it better for you guys? Well, I, I don't thought, know. Yeah, I thought they were, uh, reinforcing the theme of America loves this guy because he's their sports hero and he's a violent murderer. They love him so much that they put him in charge. Right. 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 And I think it's the, it's kind of the message, the message, I'm a message. I can't believe I got a <laughs> message from Roger Corman. Um, Answer it. It's, I know. Right. Um, the thing that I got from this was Frankenstein goes this whole way to destroy the governor and destroy the government, you know, destroy what he hates and why he's doing this race and this sort of thing. And then he literally within that time becomes what he hated as, as like, a woman. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see that where it's like the doc. I mean, the doctor who song, it's like the who song, you know, here comes the old boss. Same as here comes a new boss. Same as the old boss. Mm-hmm. Though it does seem like he's breaking the cycle. I also thought it was cool that they worked in an explanation for that ridiculous mask and costume in that there he was one of God knows how many people to wear the Frankenstein costume who are all wards of the state who were trained from birth to do this. Right. And the and when when they mentioned the hand grenade, everybody <laughs> drinks. <laughs> that was <laughs> Here is a a grenade built into my hand. What is it? Of course, it's a hand grenade. Why not? (laughs) And can we can we try and help me understand why Joe Verturbo's car had machine guns on it, but they didn't actually fire? Well, because it was made out of plywood and had to be pushed down a hill. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little disappointing because he had the giant, you know, uh, silver spray painted, you know, bayonet on the front or whatever. But the guns just were there for show. Uh, it was it was it made me sad and how many of us if we were kids would have loved to have that hot wheel of any of these cars oh hell yeah that did seem like it was part of the uh like designed by a 12 year old (laughs) look at the cars in wacky racers i'm not kidding this very very similar i wonder when was wacky races it would have been around the same time. I want to say it was 80, 78, 80, somewhere there. 1968 to 1970. Oh, I was way off. So it was before. Time. So I wonder if uh, they took some inspiration from Wacky Races. Oh, with I can the tell. very colorful characters who are big caricatures. Yeah. No, I can completely, completely agree with you on that one. So have we milked this alligator as much as we're going to? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've uh, it was interesting since I'm going to draw a point of comparison when we talk about I do want to mention the broad stereotypes in those characters. You had Nero, the hero who was vaguely Greco Roman themed. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, uh, of course, uh, Matilda, the Hun, who's got this whole Nazi thing going on, which would not not play now. You've got Calamity Jane in her bull car, just this vague, stereotypical Texan. And then you've got the Chicago gangster machine gun Viterbo. It's interesting because Frankenstein is the least caricature of all of them. Yeah, he's just a gimp. 
yeah, he's he's just this guy. He's he's Frankenstein because he's been in so many crashes that they keep replacing parts of him. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty much all I had left to say that we hadn't covered. Right. All right. Cool. So let's uh, take a quick break, and we will be back in a little bit to talk about Death Race 2015. All right. We are back, and we are... Going to talk about Death Race 2050. <laughs> we could have watched the Death Race with Jason Statham. That's all I'm saying. And it could it had Jason Statham in it. That was a uh, a step in the right direction. Either way, um, it, it, that one's not bad. But and it is Roger Corman produced in a way. But this one makes is, more sense. I question your use of the word sense. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so Death Race 2050. Uh, in the year 2050, the planet has become overpopulated. To help control population, the government develops a death race. Annually, competitors race across the country, scoring points for killing people with their vehicles. Okay, that is the only comment that is on their IMDb page. Which, incidentally, I would like to point out, Netflix, you suck. Just for the one reason that they're description of the movie was misleading because their description says in this dystopian sequel kills equal points in a violently gory annual cross country race sponsored by the United corporations of America. Because, and I said this before is because whoever wrote that never expected anybody to actually go to the death race 2050 page. (laughs) (laughs) They're like this movie. Definitely an afterthought. (laughs) Right. This movie is shit. There is no reason to come to this page to talk about this movie. I don't understand why anybody would. But now it's on my Google search uh, history. Thank you very much. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to be kind to this film. However, I can say this is not the worst movie with death and race in the title that I've ever seen. Death Racers with the Insane Clown Posse was quite a bit worse than this. You've actually watched that? It was uh, a movie we watched three quarters of for Bad Movie Night and had to turn it off. I, I know for a fact that if Joel says to you, I can't believe you watched that, that that speaks volumes right there. It's on the very short list of films that we started for Bad Movie Night and did not finish. Okay, I mean, it wait. could have been worse. Yeah. It could have been Big Money Hustlers, the other insane clown posse movie. Oh, my God. Two thousand. Okay. It's- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's however bad you think it is, it's worse. But let's get into this one, I guess. <laughs> so let's not talk about the insane clown posse. So no. this is directed by G.J. Achenkamp, who is known for being the Nighthawks clerk in a movie called Hard Candy, which is a remake of Lolita. Oh, okay. Oh. I actually know that one. Uh, and apparently directed Rene Russo and Oliver Platt in a movie called Frank and Cindy, hmm. which is confusing. Um, which G.J. Eichenkamp tells the story of, a little, of the relationship with his parents, Cindy and Frank. Hmm. It's, it's, it's interesting. There's a documentary that you can watch that uh, kind no, of... No, there isn't. 
coincides with it. That's about <laughs> nope. the, the actual couple. Nope. I've seen them both. No, of course you have. I'm not watching that. <laughs> it's something you can watch. It's maybe not something you should watch. Exactly. It's, it's like I bad. could do crack, but I'm not going to. Um, so this is the writers of this movie are, believe it or not, G.J. Achenkamp and Matt Yamashita, who is known for Sharktopus versus Terracuda. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <Pretty> name. <laughs> Things are coming into focus. Uh, art school of horrors <laughs> uh and something a tv show called bpm beats per minute and it's mnet came out in 2012 and something a short called captain fork captain fork captain fork what's that about i never mind i don't want to know yeah that's a rabbit hole i don't want to go i'm i <laughs> I'm not going down, but yet here I am. Lyle has tried his best to be like his son, but for after four years, they've grown apart, and little things really, the way the boy dresses, the cute faces he makes in the bath. What? And what type of preschooler watches Fox News? What? Could I be at a... I don't know what the hell this is talking about. All right, so apparently this is done by a bunch of psychopaths. Um, The stars, Manu Bennett as Frankenstein. Who's the name? Yeah, he's been in stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. He's been in The Hobbit, and he's been in 30 Days of Night, and he's been in Spartacus. Yeah, and he's Deathstroke on Arrow. That's where I would know him from. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's cool. I'll give him that. I mean, and honestly, for being like the the headliner of this one, oh, he's also, I can't, all right, I'm going to have a guilty pronunciation here. He, I recognize him as playing Alana in the Shannara Chronicles. Sure. Yeah. So, because I watched that. And he did the best with what he had. Yeah. I mean, and he was good. He was all in. Um, A very confusing Malcolm McDowell is a chairman. Yeah. His portrayal was somewhere between the dude with all the question marks on his vest from the infomercial and (laughs) like a twisted reflection of uh, any number of politicians. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he was like, and and this is the thing. I actually have this in my notes. Where is it? That everybody in this movie is a ex- extract of a stereotype. So you take a stereotype and then you dilute it. I mean, not dilute it, but extract. Yeah, the, concentrate it. Yeah, it's a he, everybody in this movie is a concentrated stereotype. So, um, Grant, have you? you I'm, a, I'm going to assume you know Malcolm McDowell. Shouldn't assume I? I do. Um, if I remember correctly, I I do. Clock recording. Let me let me refresh my memory. Let me let me jog my mind here because I I think I oh he's in um a Clockwork Orange. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I I know who he is. Yeah, and Alex. yeah, and he's been in yes all. I mean, he's been in Metal Apocalypse. He's been in video games. He was a voice in the Elder Scrolls. He has done everything from five star amazing movies to believe it or not the high fructose adventures of the annoying orange he was also in caligula all hail yes. caligula, hail he's, caligula. A, he's a some, favorite of rob zombie also some of these actors where they've got this great reputation great catalog you're like how did they get this person for this project malcolm mcdowell you're like eh, i could see it yeah i'm looking i'm looking at his 
I mean, you hear Malcolm McDowell. Oh, Malcolm McDowell. Okay, okay. He did Bra- Baron von Gulish in the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Yeah, what he the was hell? In Tank Girl. He's he's kind of a, one of the. He's like the Steve Buscemi shotgun actor. He or Danny Trejo. If he's offered a role and it's money, he'll do it. And you know what? Good for him. Mm-hmm. Seriously, Malcolm McDowell. I salute you. There you go. <laughs> but not with my hand. Um, so anyway, Marcy Miller plays Annie Sullivan. Uh, she is known for such movies as Rebellion, a Star Wars story, which is coming up in 2016 at the end of this year. Yeah. It, hmm? What's that? This yeah. is two, 2017. <laughs> is it? <laughs> Again, I forgot. Right <laughs> Alcohol. It's a hell of a drug. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, Rebellion was a short. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, she's, she's out already. Yeah. Yeah. She's getting into the Star Wars thing. So good for her. That's cool. And then we've got, where'd it go? Uh, Bert Grinstead as <laughs> Jed Perfectus and all of his moles. Um, the guy, seriously, he looked like a Morse code uh, writing. <laughs> now that you say it, yeah, I, I guess I just ignored it, but uh, he did have some moles. Yeah, yeah I'd he, never seen this guy before this. No? I hadn't either. He's in the TV series Colony, which I, I don't know if anybody's watched this. It's kind of what... Um, Oh, the thief from uh, Lost. What's his name? Uh, Josh Holloway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sawyer. Sawyer. Yeah, Sawyer from Lost. He went and he did this afterwards. And it's kind of like that dystopian government runs everything type mm. TV show. And it's actually not that bad. So uh, before Death Race 2050, he did such things as Go, Go, Boy Interrupted, which was right. actually a TV show. I'm going to bail you out, Mike, because I think you're going through Burt Grinstead's career just so you don't have to say the name Falake Olowofakeyu. Are you sure? Because he also was in a TV show <laughs> called <laughs> He was in a TV show called Dro- Dropping the Soap. What the hell? <laughs> yes. You're telling me you weren't trying to avoid saying Falake Olowofakeyu. <laughs> Burt Paxton, private detective. <laughs> Drive, 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 kill, kill, kill. Who does a show called Dropping the Soap? What the hell? He did. He did. He did. It's behind the scenes of a failing soap opera. The cast and crew tried desperately to hold it together. All right. That was not what I thought that show was about. I thought it was something on HBO. Yeah, I thought it was like Black is a New Orange. Does not do a show like that is Falake Yeku As Minerva Jefferson. Thank you, Josh. Um, no <laughs> so, uh, 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 Full Lake Flakes um, <laughs> is best known currently for being in Westworld and for being in Modern Family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, currently will be in, has been in the TV show, uh, show Transparent and is in 2017's Armed post-production movie right now. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more from her. There's there's a lot of uh, actors of Nigerian descent who are finally getting some work. Dude, Armed is written and directed by Mario Van Peebles. Huh. Neat. Huh. (laughs) I guess. Uh, Arnesa Ramsey. That's not a mark of quality. I I didn't say it was quality. I just said it was neat. (laughs) Yeah, hence my, huh. Yeah. Arnesa Ramsey. (laughs) Who was in this as uh, Tammy, the terrorist, who is known for such classics as The Signal and playing Caroline in Footloose, which we watched for our Footloose show. The Signal is awesome if you've never seen it, by the way. 
I have actually seen it, and it is better than I expected it to be. Yes. <laughs> you... <laughs> what the hell? I know what's next. All right, here we go. Go ahead, Joel. I know you want to say it out loud. Yancey Butler. As Alexis Hamilton. Joel, go ahead. Oh, Yancey Butler. Hard target. Witchblade. Kick-ass one and two. Fell on hard times, but is making a comeback. And oh, how I love her for some unknown reason. <laughs> I think it's her jawline. I don't know why, but I just have a thing for Yancey Butler. Have you ever seen Hard Target? Yes. She 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 was No, I'm not saying she's not, but <laughs> I don't I don't know where to go from here. So let's go to Charlie Farrell, who is not related to William Farrell. He plays JB and is known for such amazing things as besides Death Race 2050, as here we go. I was a teenage wear skunk. Okay. <laughs> that was a thing. I that, I don't know where to go from there. I feel like I drove down a verbal dead end right there. Uh, Shanna Olsen as Grace Tickle. I want to say that that character was my favorite by far, actually, was the Grace Tickle character. Because she was the sideline reporter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was oh. the update of uh, Grace Pounder. I loved throat. it so much. I don't know why, but I like it was gold. I, maybe it's just me. Oh, no, no, no. And, and, and did you notice how she did so many nods to the original? That's the thing yeah. about this one. There's so many nods. Like, as my best friend, you know, my BFF. Yep, you know, yep. No, she, she played it perfectly compared to, yeah. I, that, I, I, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And she so. was doing the Ruby Rod thing with her with her uh, microphone. I wanted mm-hmm. to punch her in the throat, though. I, did, <laughs> I hated that character. I hated her so much. All right. And then, ready for this? The Abe, the uh, automatronic dildo car, was voiced <laughs> by DC Douglas. Who is DC Douglas? He does the voice of Albert Wesker in Resident Evil 5. Okay. So lots of voiceovers, bold and beautiful. He plays Dr. Whitman. Um, he has He's on the regular show. He plays like three or four different characters on the regular show. Awesome. Yeah, I know. It's Z Nation. Have you guys watched Z Nation? Mm-mm. Nah. It's actually pretty cool it's uh, another tv show spinoff that has a uh, lost character in it it's so, it's in my on my short list of tv shows i need to watch i've heard really good things about it yeah it's really good actually it's got uh michael the uh the guy who with the lost son and dog in lost he went on okay. to this so in z nation this guy plays a character named pa kettle which is awesome so uh i like it Anyway, we're going down the list. We last one is I put him in here because I thought he was fantastic. Sebastian Losa as Steve, or otherwise known as the VR guy. <laughs> Brilliant performance! Oh yeah, the guy who would show up in, next, in the seat next to him and was wearing the goggles the whole time. This is his only movie credit, and Sebastian, thumbs up to you, sir. There were <laughs> moments in this movie, as much as I disliked it that were brilliant and many of them had Steve in them. I I actually have that in my notes. Where to go VR guy is the best thing in this movie. He's pretty sturdy loop. Uh my <laughs> other favorite part, I, I was gonna talk about it later, but I see it's already in the trivia. It's our second trivia item. All right. Now here's the thing. I also like to attribute the quality of a movie to the quality of its trivia on IMDB. In this notion I have posted every single thing that is in the trivia. Brutal. Ready for this? 
Number one trivia for Death Race 2050. This is the sequel or soft reboot to Death Race 2000. Soft reboot. Okay. Uh, this movie features a scene in which Annie and Minerva have a conversation in the Bechdel bar about the death race and Minerva's background. However, this scene ironically fails to pass the Bechdel Wallace test since the two characters talk about men, specifically about Frankenstein and Annie and Minerva's respective fathers. I noticed uh, the Bechdel sign as soon as they went in. And I got to say, most of the stereotypes in this movie had me cringing super hard, especially Minerva Jefferson. And of the few moments of what I thought were actually decent parts of this movie, that scene was one of them because it totally flipped the script on me. It that I was interesting because it was actually a poignant movie, a poignant mo- uh, moment in basically a bucket of crap. I'm just speaking from the hip here. No, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, uh, have we learned nothing from Judge Dredd? If you have a character that is known for wearing a mask or a helmet, you don't take the fucking thing off for 80% of the movie. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, at least in the first one, Carradine put it back on several times before just getting rid of it. Yeah, that turned mm-hmm. me out. Now, um, here's some more trivia. <laughs> the harpoon gun that Perfectus attacks Frankenstein with after checkpoint two is a Nerf CS-18 Alpha Trooper with a six-dart clip instead of the standard 18-dart drum. I knew it. When I looked at it, I'm like, that's a Nerf gun. And I couldn't <laughs> prove it, but now you've proved it. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the trivia. <laughs> Frank- <laughs> Frankenstein's gloves are made by Rothko, tactical supplier of gloves. <laughs> and Jed Perfectus? Wears white Converse All Star high top sneakers, also known as Chucks. Hmm. That wow. is the entirety of the trivia for this movie. Mm-mm. That's uh, I don't. Oh, they're called Chucks. Yeah. Oh, not like I don't have a pair on right now. Do you? <laughs> I do. But anyway, when we were watching the social satire for this movie, all I could think is Wally did it better. They were making some of the same points uh, that they made in the with the humans and Wally, but this is a movie that made Ed- Idiocracy look like a documentary. You know what? For a brief moment, I wasn't sure who Wally was, but now I'm with you on this one, so we're good. Well, and Idiocracy was so far over the edge with its satire that it it made perfect sense and it was brilliant in that regard. This was so far over the top; it was just kept going and fell down a pit. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, there were things about it I liked. The whole introduction of the AI VR element with all the people with the glasses looking through a passenger. I, I was like, okay, this is a modern take on it. But like the caricatures they had for the various characters for me were too over the top f- to be relatable. They all fell flat, especially that uh, self-driving car that's a big vibrator for its creator. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck that was. And the suicide mode. Yeah. And all that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm typing. I'm actually friending Sebastian Lewis uh, on Facebook right now. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it, it struck me as this was a movie that tried too hard for like 80% of it. And it was such a shame because it was, it could have been good. It could have been, but it's like everybody, uh, you're right. They tried it. 
incredibly hard for the entire thing. The, I don't understand this, but the effects were actually worse in this than they were in the two thousand in the uh, nineteen seventy five version. All right, Mike and I have been tearing this to bits. I want to hear from uh, Joel and Grant. I do. I want to give it some credit and say that I did think the humor was pretty sharp. I, I only made it halfway through before having to having to call with you guys, but I made it halfway through and I thought it did have like some high points. I mean, albeit most of it being low, but I thought it was eh. I tried at some points. I don't know. It it was definitely a. I think soft reboot is the appropriate term here because it it's it didn't just borrow heavily from the original. It straight up just shot for shot in a lot of cases took the original and it, it, the stereotypes you're correct were, I don't know, way over the top, but I, I think they were going for a modern take on the story and trying to make it relevant, but it, it just, it just fell really flat. And if you compare it to the, the big budget remake that they did with Jason Statham there, they made it made, more sense in terms of they had prisoners who fought in this death race that was televised and that was their way of kind of earning points to get back you know some of their sentence revoked by you know going this death race and if somebody died it didn't matter because they were hardened criminals who cares Mm -hmm. so it made more sense and it was a lot more gritty and and uh, the the storyline was more cohesive here it was just like we're going to take the original we're going to try and make it something that makes sense now. And they just went way too far overboard. Yeah. I kind of felt some of the characters were almost like they were written by a super edgy high school senior that thinks he's got some really interesting shit to say about politics. And then once he gets to be 30, he's going to look back at his notebooks and go, holy shit, I had my head up my ass. Yep. If I want to watch a movie like this, I'm going to watch Gamer. You know where they're controlling the actual. The, they're everybody at home is controlling the FPS characters. They're actually people out on the streets trying to fight for their life, type of thing. With who was in that one, Joel? I'm trying to think of his name. All of a sudden, oh crap! Uh, Gerard Butler. Thank you. I couldn't gamer, call his name. 2009's Gerard Butler Gamer. I mean, this is that is so much better a a statement than. Than this is, and you're right, Josh. It's like everybody in this movie is like a an extract of a stereotype. Well, look at um, uh, the United Corporations of America. I get what you're going for, but I mean, it, it is. It's something you would see on a high school yeah. notebook. It's like right. nothing further than that. <laughs> it doesn't exactly. Mean and and then the president is like sitting there, and there's girls behind them with their tits out for absolutely no reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. When I look at some of these films, I have to say, okay, are you saying something important? Are you saying something new? Are you saying it in an interesting and unique way? And is the film itself well-made? And I can uh, have a film that fails on one or maybe even two of these. But for me, this, aside from individual moments where I was like, okay, that was pretty clever. Like I was rolling at the uh, names of the various renamed states. I thought a lot of those were like really funny. Good. That's definitely where I found my high points was the names. Um, Honestly, but there's yeah, one of those, like Walmart America or Walmart, uh, Walmartica or something like that. Right. Yeah. Honestly, I was all about Schittsville is actually Baltimore. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but like this film for me failed to fire on all four of those cylinders. 
and where the original was succeeded in some ways as an exploitation racing film and political satire, this did both of those elements way worse than the original. And it didn't even have the, we've never seen this before. So you get bonus points going for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And I think you're completely right on the, this is a movie that was made by 17 year olds in high school trying to be edgy. So I, mm, all right. Well, I mean, we, we, we watch a lot of remakes and redos and reboots and reimaginings and that's, uh, the big bread and butter of the show. And uh, usually we can find a reason why they did it, or we can find something in it that made it its own film. But here, you know, the, the, the first take on it with the two sequels made more sense and, and was logical. This just felt like we got nothing to do. So let's just uh, make a movie. <laughs> it just, there was nothing to it that really <laughs> had any value to it other than maybe like I said, the names of the various States and a couple of scenes here and there. That's why. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? I don't know. You want to make a movie? Dude, I got this notebook full of great ideas. <laughs> Some of the message they were even trying to put forward made me intensely uncomfortable. When they're talking about how people are doing nothing but popping out a bunch of children and then show a stadium full of brown people, I was like, holy shit, dude, do you even realize what you're saying? Maybe you do, yeah. and that's fucking horrifying. And then you transition from that message directly into the problem with this country is people need to get jobs. All of a sudden, I'm like, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I checked out pretty early on this one. Um, it Tammy the Terrorist, all right, she's a... You know, a radical, like a uh, uh, fundamentalist Christian. And you know, most of her, even Christian fundamentalism, is by way of Ricky Bobby. Mm-hmm. Like she's constantly quoting uh, uh, like 80s and 90s uh, actors and car- pop culture references. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, this, this was a movie that tried so hard to be edgy, it slit its own throat. Yeah, it, it's like I, when I was commenting in the chat when I was watching it about how it felt like it, it felt like it was part trauma movie. And I think you said, Mike, that uh, you, it made trauma look like Shakespeare or something like that. Because and you're right. It does, because trauma knows what he's doing. The trauma films, when James Gunn was working for trauma, he was he was making a movie and he knew that this movie was shit. I mean, and that was the thing is that he knew this movie was shit and he embraced it and said, hey, I'm doing Tromeo and Juliet, and it's going to be terrible, but I am 100% in, and it's going to be terrible because I want it to be terrible. These guys are doing this movie, and it seems like they're like trying to push this edgy 13-year-old, I'm-against-the-authority type attitude on everybody, and it just comes off as overblown, arrogant, and just not fun. I mean, that's the one thing. It's like the original movie, while not awesome, it was still a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I could say that even though the satire was slap you in the face, I didn't feel like I was being preached at with the original. Mm-hmm. And I did kind of feel that with the sequel or I the remake. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just as soon as I saw uh, Malcolm McDowell as the president, I'm like, oh boy. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> it kept going from there. Oh my God. Malcolm McDowell is in this. This is going to be shit. And who says that? <laughs> It's like Malcolm McDowell, you know. All right. I mean, the best part was Manu Bennett. I mean, he he embraced that character and played it to the hilt. And every time he was on the screen, I cared about what was going on. But as soon as he was gone, I'm like, okay, really? We're back to this now? All right. All right. I will say this, though. 
the <laughs> first half of the movie, Frankenstein was a whiny bitch. He was, and it made me mad. Yeah, isn't it? Right, because you're like, dude, you're Frankenstein. Why are you? Bi- why are you being such a bitch about this? You have won four <laughs> of these. Exactly, and I, I just thought it was. I was like cringing at it. Like it's not. Um, I don't think it's my on Manubinet, but just the character itself. Right, oh, and then and so then stereotypical. And how about the how about the whole? You know what you need to do is ask open ended questions in your interviews. What the hell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where did that come from? It's totally out of left field. Okay, quick thing. When I read the the Netflix synopsis, I was when it first started, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, how are they going to create a sequel to the original film? Because at the end, Carradine uh, topples the government and becomes the government himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where are we going to go? Okay, it's 2050, so it's 50 years later. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe they've reinstated the the death race and you know they're going to tie in Frankenstein's character somehow, and he's now uh, reinstated it because <clears throat> uh, you know population's out of control again or whatever. And it, it, if they would have gone that route, it would have made a lot more sense instead of doing what they did. Because I, up until like the first fifteen minutes had rolled by, I'm like, okay, this isn't a sequel. This is a remake, mm-hmm. and I felt kind of disenchanted mm-hmm. because it could it could have done something if you took it fifty years in the future and explained why they reinstated the whole death race again yeah but they didn't. yeah and that's and that's the thing is that it's like you've got these super over over extended stereotypes of the characters you don't really have a focus outside of being in your face mm-hmm. and that's the thing and the other thing i just want to toss this out here what the hell with the corn ninjas <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first off, corn ninjas, and second of all, why do corn ninjas have have lightsabers? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have no answer for you. That's it's really that notebook. It's that notebook. Yeah, <laughs> and and the and the last thing, the only question I have, I have yet to figure out what the hell the answer is. But at the very end, where uh, the perfect guy is attacking Frankenstein from car to car, where the hell did the chicken come from? I don't know. And if this would have been a trauma film when there were corn ninjas, they would have either A, been out, made out of corn, or B, would have had corn nunchucks. Right. And it would have been That's much true. better. And it would have made sense. I would have bought that. That's the worst thing in the world is that corn ninjas with nunchucks made out of corn I would have been like, I'm in. This, I'm like, why do they have lightsabers? Why is anything happening? Why is she running away? I, I am confused by this entire movie. I mean, Roger Corman should be shamed for the fact that he has his name on this. But I bet he made money on it, and yep, good I, for him. Sure I mean, we've been over this. And and why weren't the why was the corn ninja doing b boy moves? I don't. <laughs> if he was made of corn doing b boy moves, I would have bought it. What does that say about us? We're brilliant. <laughs> I don't think that's what that says. But I'll go with it. All right. So I, I think it's pretty obvious, but let's go for the quick thumbs up, thumbs down. All right. So I'm, I'm Grant. I'm going to leave you for the end on this one. Okay. Okay. So Joel, thumbs up, thumbs down, an original and the new one. The original, I'm going to give it three quarters thumbs up because I wasn't 100% in, but I, I got it and I enjoyed it for what it was. The remake, hey, thumbs down, except for Manu Bennett. I'm sorry, sir. 
All right, Josh, what do you think, man? Yeah, I'm I'm with Joel. I'm uh although I'm a little more enthusiastic about my thumbs up because I appreciate its origin of a genre that I like. And it surprised me. My expectations were low and they were way blown away. And uh my thumb is way down, although uh you got Manu Bennett, you got Steve ba- played by Sebastian Losa, and I got to give props to the Bechdel bar scene. Uh, but beyond that and the concept of the uh, v- uh, VR goggles where people could actually like watch the race, it, it, those I've just described everything, every redeeming quality about the whole movie. Yep. Uh, I am going to give you a thumbs up on the uh, Death Race 2000 because it, it, def- it basically defined a genre. It, it created a genre and defined a genre, and everybody took that one, like you said, all the way to The Hunger Games, to um, uh, lost the name of the Schwarzenegger one. The Running Man. The Running Man, and that whole thing. I, uh, you know, I'm like, awesome. You weren't amazing, but you were entertaining, and you were a lot of fun to watch. And for me, that is, that's 80% of it right there. Am I having fun watching your movie? Yes? Awesome. Then you're getting to me. Uh, for the new one, Josh, I'm with you. Okay, the Bechdel bar, cool. That was kind of a neat idea. The uh, you know you had like three gems that you could have ran with in this movie, and instead you got you you use the same fake intestine prop sixteen times in the movie. <laughs> they got a lot of mileage out of that fake intestine prop. I mean, I'm telling you right now. Now, Grant. How about you, man? So definitely a thumbs up on my first endeavor into that genre with the first movie. Um, I definitely need to watch it again and actually probably just not take it so seriously, but like probably watch it with friends as well. I think it'd be a really good movie for that. Second uh, movie, the 2050, absolutely not. Thumbs down. Uh, just to <laughs> just spend your time watching something better. <laughs> oh, I do have one other thing to say about the new one. Yancy Butler, I love you. <laughs> oh, Yancy. She, she was kind of the Amelia Clark of her time. She had those eyebrows going. She does. Is it wrong to say that I'm sexually attracted to Amelia Clark's eyebrows, but not anything else? Uh, <laughs> no, because she's got nice boobies. I don't want to hear about the boobies. I just want to talk about the eyebrows. <laughs> All right, maybe this is not the best time for it, but if you'd like to give us a call, you can always do that at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right. Oh, what? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay, and if you're looking for our older eyebrows, they're on uh, iTunes, <laughs> Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, and a bunch of other podcast networks out there in the pod universe. Joel, what do we got for next week? We've got a secret co-host for you as we are delving into Freaky Friday. Yes, Freaky Friday. We are looking at the original, and we are looking at the new. Um, unfortunately, I've forgotten everybody who has starred in those movies. Uh, wasn't Jamie Lee Curtis in one of them? That is a name that I recognize. <laughs> are we talking about Lindsay Lohan? Yes, we are. <laughs> All right. Hey, Grant, what is it that you do? I mean, besides being Can a Can you student, say that one more time? Grant, what is it that, that you do besides being a student and all that stuff? Yeah, so um, besides being a good old college student doing that good old college thing, um, I'm actually an intern over at Anchor, so that's why I'm uh, talking about him so much. But yeah, I, I do an internship with them, still working with them, 
And uh, it's been really fun. And I can't recommend like just checking out the the app enough. It's it's really fun to use. Yeah. And I, I need to get on there more often than I do. I really do. Um, it seems like a great app. If you're looking to make a quick and short podcast or something that you know, just have an idea for something, but you don't have the full-on equipment and ready to go with it, you can actually create your own podcast and get on the web and broadcast your thoughts and feelings and you know what you what you think about death race 2000 to the world exactly they've got good taste in shows they interviewed us yeah i know right so Mm -hmm. uh grant i want to thank you very much for being on this show um i apologize for making you watch uh death race 2050 (laughs) no 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 i thank you for bringing me on and uh and definitely making me watch a movie that i don't think i ever would have ran across otherwise I, i really enjoyed it Seriously, and I hope you get together, get together with your buddies, and make them watch uh, Death Race Two Thousand. Dude, I will. And I will. Yeah, not twenty fifty. <laughs> yeah. Specifically twenty thousand or two thousand, and then I'm gonna assume probably not the like. I don't know if they're the fake sequels, the two and three or whatever. <laughs> One, two, and three, but the Jason Statham was in the original, and then two and three were not Jason yeah. Statham. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely be sure to to show them and then let you know. Fantastic. All right, guys, uh, we are signing off for the night. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you. Well, at least it didn't have Shaggy too dope. <laughs> oh, Yancey. An homage to Nazis. <laughs> no, I was saying I I saw at the beginning of 2000 I saw the Nazi uh, flag or the swastika I guess and uh I was wondering what kind of movie I was watching but then uh got figured out